My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me as podcast producer is Kyle Dodson. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Nice to see you. Nice to see you. It's been a long, 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 long time. My goodness. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, you've gotten married, you've had a couple of kids, you've traveled the world. No, you haven't done any of those things. No. No, but still, (laughs) it's great to see you. Um, And Kyle is going to be producing for this episode because I have with me... James M. Churchman. Ooh. That's how you're listed on IMDb anyway. I know. James it sounds M. official, doesn't it? But I can just call you Jim, right? Absolutely. Okay, Jim. I've known Jim for a while. Jim has been a friend. He has been a client. He has been a student. But most of all, Jim is known as being a stunt coordinator for... Are you ready? He's got 79 credits. I'm not uh. going to read them all. At least on IMDb. I know there's even more than that. But he has been stunt coordinator for Doctor Strange. X-Men Apocalypse, Ant-Man, Terminator Genesis, oh my gosh, Man of Steel, Iron Man 3, Battleship. I'm just going, I'm just going from present to past. Oh, Sherlock Holmes, Tron, uh... Uh, You're uh, getting the gray area. I am, it wasn't, I am. It wasn't coordinator on all of them. Okay, those, all right. But, uh, okay, but oh the my first gosh, three or four. Just so many of them. It's really, it's kind of crazy. Um, so, so I thought it would be good to have a stunt coordinator on because so many of you out there write action and you write sci-fi and thrillers and they involve things that will eventually be taken over by Jim and. And, you know, there's always this balance of how much do you write? How much don't you write? How do you describe action sequences? Um, And Jim's here to tell you what helps him when he's reading a script and what doesn't. So I'm going to start with that very general question, Jim. When you are reading a script and you have to lift the action sequence off of it to determine how to do your job, what, what works for you? Well, it is a balance, like you say. Um, it depends on the nature of the script. Like, I tend to do a lot of superhero movies these days, and of course, you're going to have a lot of specific action uh, defined by the character's abilities and powers. Um, I like to use environment a lot. Oh, cool. Because if you're in a room with something that's usable, uh, that can become a weapon or, you know, part of a fight or, you know, even a story point. Um, so, so if somebody's de- if somebody's described a world in general or an environment within that world, and they've they've mentioned maybe something that's like a prop that's of use, do you you turn around and go, oh, I, I see that prop in the scene. I'm going to use that. Absolutely. And then a lot of times that happens as you're doing physical production too, because rooms often take shape you know, while you're shooting and the prop department will dress it out and you'll say, aha, I can use that, 
you know, it just, it, it just all kinds of happen. There's a lot of ways those things come together. Dr. Strange is a really good example. Actually, there's a, um, a, a big fight that goes through and we use all these relics and stuff between Cassilius and Dr. Strange. And that, that was a lot of fun because it gave us just everything to play with and all these magical items and stuff too. It was really cool. But those relics and magical items wouldn't be in that scene for you to use unless the writer had written it in and made them actually important for the story. Yeah. And then that's, you know, that's also uh, part of the Marvel universe. There's so much stuff that they can pull in and, and they did. So as you're, as you're reading, you're taking note of environment. What else are you? What else are you noting? Um, like I said, the, the character's powers, mm-hmm. uh, and and then it's what the character would do too. You know, um, like if it's a girl fighting, she's going to fight a very different way than a man fighting. For you know, for instance. So, I mean, everything counts. So, if a writer can it has something that he really wants to convey. It should be put in the script, right? But uh, also leave us room, like you say, to, to, to embellish and to make it better. Or maybe not better, but to make it uh, broader. Um, and a lot of times what we do is we'll, um, you know, if there are any questions, if it's like one line that says, you know, insane car chase ensues, you know, then we, we go to the drawing board ourselves. But uh, we'll film little pre parts and we'll show it to the director and, you know, a lot of times we're, we're actually like editing our own little mini movie in the background and then take it to get approved um, by the artistic control people. But you were saying insane <laughs> car crash ensues. Okay, so we have one adjective. But then you have to go and make it all up, right? Mm, yeah. So you need, you need more. Right. We do. We would need more than that, typically. And, and you were saying off mic, like you want people to be more specific. Yeah. Uh, I think writers have a lot of power right in the beginning while the script's being written if the, if there's something that's important to them that they want to convey that's where to do it because if they don't do it there um you know it's going to just get done uh, and maybe they don't like what they see at the end result so. now one thing that I, I i tend to ask people to do is okay an insane car crash like what would be the metaphor or what be would be the simile for this you know they race through the streets like blank or um, uh, an insane car crash that uh, resembles what? So that you can paint even more of a picture, right. you know, and then get even more specific than that. Um, that's at least one technique I, I, I teach them. What, what have you found in scripts helps you as far as getting more specific that, that you've seen that, that's more specific? Mm, good question. I mean, like I say, it's just the more specific the, the, um, the scene's written, uh, it, it takes, you know, it gives us more direction. Um, and then, you know, like I said, we're always looking for, we all, we are creative people mm-hmm. and we want to add to it too. Right. So, and, uh, so we'll take every opportunity we can to, to build off of that. But yeah, I mean, it's for me, it's story. Mm-hmm. What makes sense, what the characters would or wouldn't do, uh, their powers, if a superhero and then making use of the environment and that, those that pretty much gives us a really good start and uh we'll we'll shoot our little previews and see what happens so when you said powers right yeah um do you also take into into account the limitations of, of power absolutely and actually that's one of the problems we run into a lot these days is for instance on x-men a lot of characters look at you stick their hand out and something happens 
right? And if there's like five characters that do that, it's really hard to keep it interesting. <laughs> like some, suddenly everybody's, it just looks like a big high five or yeah, something. Yeah, like, and they're focusing really hard and then people fly, you know. And it's uh-huh. like, <laughs> so you've got to, it's like, can you talk about like one sequence where you had a bunch of characters with different powers and how you determined what needed to be done when? Yeah, I mean, and that some, a lot of that depends on the show, but a lot of that falls on the second year director as well. Uh, on Apocalypse, we had kind of that, you know, you have Magneto coming in, you've got Storm coming in, you've got uh, Beast, you've got Jean Grey entering, and they, you know, they all have these powers, you know, you, you don't see, you can't physically see Magneto's power, you can't physically see Jean Grey's power, you see the results, so it gets uh, sticky sometimes. And, um, I remember one time with that, we had to figure out uh, how we were going to hurt Apocalypse, and you had Psylocke was going to come up with a sword to execute Quicksilver. But it wasn't Psylocke. It was Mystique, who had shapeshifted into Psylocke, right? So I had this great idea. She jumps up in the air, and because you know, he's got armor on, and she's got a samurai sword. So I'm like, how are you going to hurt him? Well, it's got to be head or neck or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought if we took this samurai sword and just jammed it right down his neck, straight through into his torso, it would be pretty spectacular looking you know you just jam a samurai sword right down in there and and brian singer's like no that's not what i want i'll tell you what i just want him i just want her to slice his throat you know go like she's going to hit quicksilver and just quickly turn and slice his throat and i'm like brian singer brian singer yeah and i'm like okay i'm to me i was like oh man my thing's just more you know what i mean it just looks more visceral but in the end, Brian was right. And the reason he was right was because the slice to the throat allowed Visifex to let his head tilt way back. And you could see the hole inside of his throat. And then you see him heal himself. So, and that's what Brian wanted to get across was that Apocalypse you know, wasn't quite that easily damaged. And he could heal himself, right? So it made sense. And I saw that. So I had to learn my lesson. <laughs> no, don't... don't um action scenes tell their own story like from beginning to end yeah so when you're looking at at you know, doing all the stunt work for this do you sort of take the, those beats into account for the action scene like the beginning of this is this the middle of, by the middle it has to have hit this at the end we have to leave emotionally on this point like is that how you look at it a little bit sometimes yeah yeah and especially the more i get into writing right it's like it becomes more and more important to me and um when have you ever have you ever been involved in something where people get so carried away i'm like brian singer is a really good good example where he's like now this is part of the story but like have you guys ever done something where you're like oh but it doesn't really fit the context of the story. Well, that's why we do the visits up front and mm-hmm. we, and we send them through the powers because if we go too far, mm-hmm. hopefully we get reined in, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, or it just gets edited down in post to what does make sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of times we want to go too far, I guess. <laughs> you do? Sometimes we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's more fun, right? But, um, and sometimes it sticks. Like, uh, I don't know if you remember Live Free or Die Hard. We had the assassin that was in a parking garage. 
and he was going to jump across to a building. And then we're like, well, he could jump across the building and then he could pitch off and jump down to the next fire escape. Well, and there's another fire escape and then there's another one. And all of a sudden this guy's leaping across a, a, a alley, lands on an air conditioner, drops to the fire escape, drops to the next one, just like, like a base jumper. And, but it stuck because it, we went farther and farther and it, it was just really cool. So we kept it. <laughs> what, what would annoy you when people give you too much when they're writing? Like, do you ever read something and go, I can't find, I can't find the, the beats of this because somebody's micromanaged it so much? Yeah, things get trimmed down for sure. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, I, sometimes it's budget. Sometimes it's shooting to schedule. Um, and then, you know, sometimes it's just story. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense. So, um, like I said, it's a balance. Are there specific details that people tend to throw in that like never get used or you're just like, Oh God, not this again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there are, but I try to block those out. (laughs) What what about like, um, certain moves like writers, right? They're not fighters. Right. Some of them aren't stunt people. Right. Not all of them. Let's just say that. So do do you ever find them sort of leaning on conventional, uh, like leaning on the same old, same old, are you starting to see cliches, I should say, in some action? Well, I hate to say it because, you know, the Marvel movies are great mm-hmm. and all that and um, DCs and all that. But you have a little bit like I think some movies struggle because of that because the characters, are, they're all so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like Honest Trailers. You ever seen yeah. those? Mm-hmm. I love those. And the one on Apocalypse or no, on Days of Future Past was really funny. And it's like the, you know, the one character is so strong, he could solve all the problems of the world instantly, and it's Quicksilver. And then they say, that's probably why they left him at home. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's brilliant, really. Uh, but uh, that's the thing, right? If you can rule the world, and there's 10 of you, what do you do? So that's, so, you know, for people who aren't writing mar- Marvel movies, which is, Maybe everybody who's listening. Okay. <laughs> That's actually a good lesson because, you know, we want to mimic what we see on screen so much, right? But by stripping powers away from people or not having everybody be powerful or only having one person be powerful, it actually creates limitations that could be more interesting. More interesting to overcome, right? Like the, the average person has to step up his game to, to match something, you know, or be more clever, yeah, I really like those. Um, what was well, you? You mentioned uh, off mic um, something about what was it? Oh no, we you already told me about Quicksilver, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what was your favorite? What was your very favorite movie? Or can you say? Are you allowed to say? Well, I'm really proud of Doctor Strange's out right now. Okay, um, we did a lot of stuff, and hats off to the actors. We had them do. A lot. I mean, they all had doubles, but Benedict was in every scene in the movie just about. And he would walk in on stage and say, and I'd say, hey, this is what you're doing today. You know, we're hooking the wires here and here and you're going to fly over there. And and he was a real trooper. So that it was a fun process. And, and uh, all the actors, Mads Mikkelsen, wanted to do everything he could. Um, Chiwetel was awesome. So, and even we flew Tilda Swinton around too. Um, which, <laughs> and she loved it. So we had a lot of fun. Um, I would say on scale, uh, the Iron Man 3 Air Force One sequence is one of my favorite. And the reason being, 
we did everything uh, practically as as we could. Um, there were very few digital takeovers on that, and that was so we had a fuselage of the airplane on stage, and we blew the side of the plane out. We really ratcheted physical people out of the airplane. Then we had a whole skydiving sequence. We had the Red Bull skydiving team, and uh, Jeff Haverstadt ran that, and Brian Smurfs was the second director of the whole sequence, and and then. I remember when Smurfs gave me the call, he's like, Hey, um, look at these storyboards and, you know, we got to land them in the water. So, you know, Iron Man flies around, picks them all out of the air and then drops them in the water. So they survive. I'm like, Brian, we, you, you want me to fly 15 people holding hands. So it looks real. Like they're all really hanging on to each other and dropping them all. He's no, 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 it, it's only 14. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, no problem. <laughs> Didn't you tell me that one of the members of the that that the the scene itself were real people, right? Yeah. And those real people were played by the members of the Sky Skydiving sky team. Yeah. team. They did all of it. They even had, even the old people in it. Yeah. Right. They, how, how old was the oldest person on that? Team? I think she was 64 years old, and she was the first. Uh, to really splash in the water and she was awesome. So when you see this scene and it looks like a bunch of civilians that are played by extras or actors or whatever, they're actually the skydiving team that's, that's playing those yeah. roles. Yeah, they acted in the beginning, you know, the whole the stewardess was Sarah, she was, you know, did her little role and and, and uh, Luke Akins who just broke shattered the world record, I don't know if you saw that jumping out of an airplane with no parachute at 25,000 feet. Oh, I know. I saw because you showed it to me. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, they played the actors in the plane. They got, you know, wire removed from the plane and then they got dropped in the sky and they did all the skydiving for real with hidden rigs and then flown and dropped into the water on wires. And it was really cool. Did you ever do like a huge action, action sequence like this and then it was cut from the movie because because of of for story reasons where somebody went and it's just we don't need it for the story let's cut it yeah i mean you run into some runtime things you run into some you know logistics with the story sometimes i can't, I can't remember any specifics on it but i know that it happens all the time because that must be heartbreaking it is, all that work. it is and then we're like yeah we're kind of at the editor's mercy sometimes but most of the time they help us out do you ever feel like you're creating, well, this is, this is kind of hard for you to answer because it won't be politic, but um, I would think sometimes you go, I'm creating this because there isn't any story here. <laughs> like, did, like, have you ever had that feeling like, well, it's a good thing I'm here because otherwise. Well, I mean, it's my, not my personality to say, uh, you're lucky you have me. <laughs> but I mean, I, I certainly think I add to the projects I work on. Um, and I'll say, uh, the Smurfs, uh, has written sequences where the, you know, sometimes the studios are struggling with endings and stuff and mm -hmm. it happens a lot. They rely on guys like him as a second unit director more and more. There's no improv in these seats, right? There is, there's like no room for anybody to be like, yeah, I think I'll try this, right? It's not, it's not like well, that. Well, it, it's a process. Like I said, we'll, we'll come up with an idea. We'll go shoot a little version of it. Okay. Uh, and then, um, you know, they'll either like it or not. Um, actually, I remember one thing on Apocalypse we did. They had, remember, they had a mind battle with uh, 
Xavier and, and Apocalypse, where they're inside one of their minds. And this is the one time you're going to get to see Xavier get out of his wheelchair and throw a punch, right? Because he's a totally mental dude. He doesn't do it. Um, and he can't walk. But um, we came up with a, a, a mind battle concept where gravity didn't exist. And it was just, just this like empty globe with just atmosphere in it. And, and wherever you were walking, you kind of had gravity and and you could throw each other all kinds of directions and it was super cool but they didn't like it uh, <laughs> so, uh. so it didn't make it but it's one of my favorite scenes i show on my laptop <laughs> as, <laughs> as our little viz i'm like look what we did but yeah. but that's taking advantage of the world right and so that must have been part of what why you liked it right because you like using the environment yeah yeah like i said you're in your mind yeah you, you've got freedom now, what about like Okay, you've worked with Robert Downey Jr., right? And right. he's kind of known for sometimes saying a line or two that's just his own that becomes part of the character. Absolutely. Have you watched as people engage in your in your action sequences and then say things maybe because they're in the midair right. <laughs> that they would that aren't in the script? Have you ever seen um, it's that? typically somewhat talked about mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean, it, most of the time there's a plan uh, mm-hmm. or at least a, a flavor of the scene. Um, and I wouldn't say that the dialogue would affect our action too much. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, one guy I particularly enjoy is Michael Fassbender. Uh, he's just so intense. And every time, he, you know, and I've flown him a lot and he, and I just, I love the way he looks when he's flying and he just nails it, you know, and his dialogue delivery is insane. So do you ever, like you said, you love the way he looks. Do you ever direct in a way people's expressions is when they're doing this so that they really look like they're flying? Or? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, we, we talk about that for sure. And it's a lot of body position with that because your body's being suspended by wires and it means that you're not used to these forces, you know, so we we kind of work through those in rehearsals and get them comfortable doing that. Um, as far as facial expressions, it's yeah. typically director. Interesting. Uh, I did get to get do a little second directing on Doctor Strange, very little. Yeah. And uh, my first day was with Benedict doing a particularly insen- intense scene where he's crying to get cut from the movie. Ah. <laughs> but he was doing CPR on his sister who, but he's playing his father. So he's really doing CPR on his daughter looking at himself, blaming his kid for being, for letting her die. And then just, it was crazy. And it was my first day. And I was like, this is awesome. That is, that, that's some <laughs> intense stuff because as the director, you have to be aware of every point of view, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that's cool. It was very cool. Uh, and Benedict was, was just awesome. Huh? Yeah. Wow. He made it easy on me. <laughs> <laughs> What's Kyle? Um, you're such a fan. I mean, you and and Pat. Pat Kyle is Pat's nephew, yeah. and then they go to these movies like opening day, mm-hmm. usually at like ten in the morning, if, if or Kyle, midnight or, or midnight, and yeah. then you can watch your uncle fall asleep, which is always mm-hmm. fun. Not because of the movie, but because he's old. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, like when you were looking at this this IMDb, were were there any particular scenes that that you remembered that you wanted to ask Jim about? Well, yeah, like um, you talked about working in the space with X-Men Apocalypse, like in the mind space. So it must be way more fun to have a creative space that people may not have seen before rather than just like a dark alleyway with dumpsters, you know? So like um, with Ant-Man, 
there's the whole like you know he can shrink down so you can make a like at the t- top of a table can be a whole new world and a pencil can be this or a water bottle so was that like i mean i know a lot of that was digital but was that well a lot was digital the environment was specifically yeah. because of set pieces would be so right. big um but i do have to take my hat off to jeff haverstadt on that um and his son trevor um they did uh I don't know if you remember, the two of them are small and they're in a briefcase while they're in yep. the helicopter. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, what they did is they went to a wind tunnel, a uh, skydiving wind tunnel, and they're fighting in the wind as if they're free falling. And they use that footage, you know, for the fight mm-hmm. in the briefcase because they're just kind of floating in the briefcase. Right. So that's how they pulled that off. And that, that was their concept and it worked really well. That's cool. Wow. Cool. And, Oh, I was going to say, uh, back to the Doctor Strange with the, when they're, when, uh, he and Cassilius are fighting in the, with all the artifacts. Yeah. How much of that was written out in terms of like what they use or was it like, oh, he can hit him with this and it's like, let's make this, this from Marvel. Or, right. Because that was, um, you know, all the artifacts there are part of the Marvel universe. Right. They were defined. Okay. And then, uh, uh, Jonathan Eusebio was our fight choreographer and uh, Vincent Wong out of UK. And what we did is we mapped out, once we knew what the room looked like, we mapped out a path around the entire place. So it, um, you know, so it made sense in the Mm -hmm. room and made the use of it because the sets were beautiful. Um, And then one of the funnest parts was, and I have to, our department was kind of responsible for bringing the cloak to life. It wasn't written as a character. Oh. But because of our stunt fizz, we're like, well, the cloak's right there and it makes him fly. I wonder if we could just kind of reach out and block this hit, you know, and, and help him out. And then, and then the whole kicking over the handrail and the mm-hmm. cloak disappearing and catches him. That was, you know, I don't pat myself on the back very often. But that was part. That was us. But I love what you said. Like it wasn't a character, and then it became it a character and within it. It's it kind of one of the better characters. Not that, not that no one else is good in the movie, but like it, it really shines. It's kind of like the the Groot, I guess, if you're comparing it to like Guardians or something. Like kind of like a fan favorite that was unexpected. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they they ran with it, right? Like all of a sudden, it's wiping tears out of this. Yeah, <laughs> it was funny. It was good. <laughs> but that that might be something again. Going back to like writers doing it from scratch, right? Yeah, is you're you're mentioning you know props and environment and things and costumes, things that people wear. All those things can be part of the action sequence, and sometimes people they ignore what they've created. Right. It's just like they're just punching or they're kicking or they're scowling right. and they're not using what they've actually invented. And that actually, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, although I'm a fan of fights, mm-hmm. unless you're doing a raid movie or something like that, mm-hmm. like I, when people just sit there and kick and punch and block and kick and punch and jump and Enough's enough. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That's, that, but that's just me personally. I, actually, the audience, I'm probably wrong because the audience seems to eat it up, right? But I would much rather do something like Strange where you're, you're grabbing things off the wall and you're, you're trying to use everything around you to your advantage. And it seems to add, for me, a, a, a little more desperation to the, to the fight. Mm-hmm. Well, this goes back to, to this phrase that constantly comes up on the show and people hear all the time is set pieces, mm-hmm. right? You use setting... 
to create your set piece. Mm-hmm. You, you use your environment. That's what a set piece means, is how you can make sort of fun and games out of what's around you. Right. And, and that makes, that's memorable. And look people. at like Joe Pesci in the pen. Mm-hmm. How awesome was that? <laughs> that was awesome. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> but if, uh, if, if somebody was like looking around for a script of one of the, the movies you've been on, um, because there are places to find them. Trust me. Okay. Oh, I know. So what script would you suggest they go looking at that really looked on the page similar to what you saw on the screen? Like really lifted off. Oh, um, I need to look at my... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Check out um, your entire filmography of yeah, 79 exactly. scripts, please. <laughs> um, well, I mean, Ant-Man... Yeah, was man. good. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. If I'm going, oh, here's one that wasn't necessarily successful, but I loved Sucker Punch. Yeah. Zack Snyder. Okay. I mean, so it had and, like all those details and all yeah, that. Yeah. It was so cool. And like they said, if Zach was French, they'd uh, love it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He'd be a genius, uh, which he is, by the way. Uh, that's, did, did you see Sucker Punch? Yeah, I saw it like way, yeah, like in 2011. Um, I don't remember all that much about it. It was girls in a brothel and there were like three levels of reality and you had to choose which one you think was their reality. Mm -hmm. It went from, uh, you know, dancing in a dance hall to fighting steampunk German soldiers on the battlefield and it was just super visual. Wasn't John Hamm in it too? Like for like, he was like, Gave, I remember him I giving so. someone like a lobotomy. That was yeah. well, it was Oscar Isaac too. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, who was Apocalypse? Well, it, it, do you think that some of some of what made that work had to do with describing tone in the script? I mean, if it, I'm I'm saying like, what's a good read that like is script to screen? Well, the way you're describing it, it sounds like tone and mood. Yeah, lends itself absolutely. Uh, yeah, because she would, uh, to escape, she would close her eyes as she started dancing. And then she'd go from dancing to uh, this whole fantasy of, of battling, you know, through her, uh, whatever's challenging her at the moment. Um, another one, I mean, have you seen Jeepers Creepers, the original one? No. Did you I have, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually, I, I really enjoyed it. And that, that, was a, <laughs> that was a smaller movie we did in Florida. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's where I'm from, my hometown. And, uh, that I thought worked really well, mm-hmm. uh, the first one. Yeah. So what what made it work for you? It was just gritty. Um, it had I don't know if you remember Duel. Mm-hmm. That I remember. That I saw. It had elements of that. <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> you were like five. Because I was fa- five, right? Yeah. <laughs> Why did I jump up and down and say I saw that one? What, what am I doing? So it had elements of that. Uh-huh. It had elements of like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. Um, it it was just it was cool and it was um, you know it became a, uh, a team effort because you know, we were, it wasn't a very big budget movie and, uh-huh. and we're trying to make something good. And, uh, you know, everybody, a lot of times you get in on set and you realize the position you're in and it's just, everybody just, 
it can go two ways, right? Everybody can say, the heck with this, I'm out of here, or let's knuckle down and get some, and make something. And that was one of those experiences that I enjoyed. Well, that, you know, we talk about, you know, you're on huge movies now, right? But we have independent filmmakers on this all the time who actually find themselves getting more creative when they have all these sort of financial restrictions. They can't do as much. So the, so the action has to be really use what's around them. They yeah. really have to be creative. Did you ever find yourself in one of those movies in, in the early days before like you were the big, big honcho <laughs> on set where the, the, the action actually became more exciting because you couldn't do as much? Well, I mean, you certainly, like I said, it does stem your, uh, uh, make you more creative because if, if you've got nothing to work with, you, you got to find something. You got to do it. I can remember my very first movie. I was, um, I became a stunt coordinator in my very first movie ever. It was a no budget thing. Um, and the special effects guy needed to make smoke. And we didn't have a smoke machine. The box got shipped without the machine in it. So I'm like, well, we're in Florida. We have this stuff called Spanish moss on the trees. And it, when you burn it, it makes a lot of smoke. So he's like, perfect. And he grabs a bunch of it, throws it in a trash can, makes a little fire under it. Now that's our smoker. Was that sounds safe. <laughs> Spanish that's moss. That's good. No. I, I grew up breathing it. It's no problem. <laughs> but, you know, okay, so for independent filmmakers who are listening, um, if you could give them some advice on what not to write into their scripts in order to make their action still work, but, but make it affordable and realistic, you know, what, what would you suggest? Well, I would say these days, budgetarily vis effects is your nemesis because, um, obviously with vis effects, you can pull off almost anything, Mm -hmm. but if you can't shoot it in camera on a low budget movie, you probably don't want to do it. You know what I mean? It's it's gotta be very specific things that you want to, add vis effects too because that's going to blow really your expensive. budget it is so people who go like oh we could just do this don't realize mm-hmm. that that's could that could be their entire budget right that could be 10 grand or so don't lean on grand. it is what you're saying right yeah keep it gritty and real world is would be my what do i know <laughs> i um a lot and i think that would go back to the first points that you brought up which was environment story characters powers Right. Right. And when you said characters, it was like, what would the character actually do? Yeah. So let's say it's somebody without a power. Do you then think, how would a character make decisions in order to figure out what the action would be? Yeah. Well, um, well, let's look at the first Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Right. He had no powers and he had no shoes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. But he's got to make he's got to save his wife. So he's going through his environment and, you know, gathering duct tape and gathering a fire hose and whatever it took, you know. Um, and and any time he killed somebody, he took their stuff. Yeah. That's how he kind of armed himself. Yeah, but the shoes wouldn't fit. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right, which was cool. It was cool. Right. And that's always giving him that limitation that makes everything he's doing keeps him from looking like a superhero because he's getting beat up yeah. through the whole thing. It kind of yeah. kind of changed action movies that way, don't you think? I, I do. I think that was a, a, a great script. Die Hard was a little movie before you're born. I love, I love Die Hard movies. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that one either. No. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, what, any, other, any other movies you're dying to ask about? Uh, I, well, off like you had said, you added signature. You have like a signature sometimes. Yeah. Well, that's... 
I mean, that's always a, um, a goal, right? Because, you know, we want to be challenged. We want to push the limits. So, and like I said, the Iron Man 3 thing, that Air Force One sequence was a, a signature sequence for us. Uh, going back to like uh, the original Underworld, that I wasn't the coordinator on, but I was the rigger on. We did a, the bell tower jump. Do you remember that? Yeah, I she, love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I just watched it the other day. Oh, yeah? So our stunt girl jumps 110 feet from this bell tower and in the middle of Hungary and, uh, you know, try to figure out how to do that. But we did it. And it was, you know, and it became people recognized that move because it was... It was good. Um, so the death-defying stuff—that's Jim Churchman. That's your signature. That's well, you know, it fit her character. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually putting words in your mouth. What would you say is—is it—is it a jump? Is it like the big—the big jumps are your signature moves? Well, I mean, no, it's always different. Like, look at Days of Future Past and mm-hmm. the, the whole Quicksilver sequence in the kitchen uh, became our signature thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that and that was uh, again Brian Smurfs directing second unit. And um, we had Haverstadt and his son Shane actually did a lot of research on it because we were shooting everything super slow-mo, like high frame rates. And uh, so he got on, you look at all these footage on YouTube of these guys that do all this super slow-mo footage. And then we started experimenting. Well, if you poke a guy in the cheek, how could we make his cheek ripple? And <laughs> so we had a little air gun and we'd, go, we'd hit him with air and just go, and you would be amazed. One little blast of air will make your cheek just look like a uh, like a drop of water's hitting in the water. I mean, it, your skin just ripples. So we had all these as, little as tricks. A, as a, a woman of a certain age, I will never experiment with this. I just want to let you know this does not sound fun to me. It sounds even, like my shower. <laughs> I even let a stunt guy punch me in the face while we shot it at 3,000 frames a second. What? So we could see what it did. And it's like, your nose moves way over could, to the side of your face. Could we punch you in the face right now? <laughs> Sure. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. So when you're saying a signature move, you're not talking about your personal signature movie. You're saying no. like signature for that movie. For that scene. Yeah. Or the movie. And it's, we're always looking for just a place in the movie to push the limits and, and do something, you know, special. Now, if it, if it ends up in the trailer, does that feel like a ha? It usually ends up in the trailer. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> sweet. Did you ever like, ever get mad if it wasn't in the trailer like hey uh not mad just disappointed (laughs) (laughs) but look i mean look every trailer is full of your action highlights typically right Mm -hmm. i mean that's that's kind of the formula for selling the movie up front so being on all these these big bold movies and you're a writer and you write big bold it big bold movies and big bold tv um what is it teaching you as a writer, what is your job teaching you? Um, I'm trying to keep everything meaningful. In other words, I love it when I go to rewrite a script and I say, well, I can't change that because if I change that, it changes 10 other things. So that means it's all connected. And I love that for some reason. I just think if you have something that you pull it out and it doesn't change anything, then it shouldn't be there. That's a, that's cool. That's great. And also in, in what you're doing, you know, it's got to be important, right? Because yeah. they're spending a lot of money on it. So it has to be meaningful. Yeah. You. What does it all mean? What does it all mean? <laughs> what, what does it all mean by Jim Churchman? <laughs> your autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> I, this has been great. I'm, I am learning so much because, you know, I'm 
have to say, I don't always go to movies with an appreciation of the action part of it. I have to admit to sometimes being one of those people that kind of like spaces out during that part until people start talking again. Right. So this time I'm going to go and I'm going to be like paying attention. Okay. What are you really, going to go really, see? Um, what should I see first? Well, I want to see Doctor Strange. Seriously, I would go see Doctor Strange in 3D IMAX because okay. it lends itself, the scope of that movie lends itself to that. And I typically don't enjoy 3D. Okay. Same. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the, I saw it in 3D IMAX. It was totally worth it. Right. Yeah. Because this 3D isn't the tentacle that comes reaching out at you. This is the world comes around you and sucks you into the world. Cool. It's it's. It's the way to see that movie. Well, I think I I, ha- I could easily convince my husband to go for the fifth time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that would be really hard. But um, can you keep him quiet so you can just enjoy it? Oh, or is please. he going to tell you what's going on? Come on. Miracles aren't going to happen overnight. <laughs> does, does, uh, when you go to the movies with Uncle Pat, does he ever like just put his hand over his face but stay in the same vocal range yeah. and yeah. thinks that he's whispering. Yeah. So he'll be like, that's that guy who did. And you're like, you're not whispering. You just have your hand over your face. <laughs> it doesn't. Right. Awesome. Okay. Well, he's not here so we can talk about it. There you go. Um, so Jim, I want to thank you so much for being here. No, thank you. It's yeah. awesome. Kyle, did you get all the questions out? Did you think that you want to ask? I, I or? think so. Yeah. I think yeah. everything kind of got naturally answered or I asked. If it, I mean, 79 movies and you asked three questions. <laughs> He's going he's gonna to ask you tons of mic. Uh, but I really want to thank you. Um, for what it's worth, I have a, a fight scene template. Okay. Uh. And I, I give it to people in my rewrite classes in order for them to take all this choreography they have and remember that it is a story and it starts with emotion and then it goes to the tone of the, of the fight or any action sequence, um, the method or weaponry, uh, fight move one fight move two. somebody who gets the upper hand and then the emotion sort of coming out of the story. It's, It's, it's along those lines. There's eight different points in it. Um, if you would like the, handout for that. If you would like the fight scene handout, just write to me at pilar at onthepage.tv, P-I-L-A-R at onthepage.tv, and put fight scene at the top. But I think that it'll work for, it, it does work for chase scenes or anything that involves a lot of action. Sure. Um, I should have gotten your approval on it first, but <laughs> based on what you said, it seems like it, it's going to be okay. I would say two things with fights. Sure. Pet peeves of mine. Yeah. Uh, people... Regular people fighting are not superheroes. They can't fight for 10 minutes without losing their breath, right? So the, their physical condition should deteriorate as the fight goes on. And the other thing is if you have one guy fighting 30 guys and they're all standing in a circle waiting for their turn to come in and do their choreography, it blows it for me. Sure. Those are, those are great pet peeves. Yeah. I love that. Cool. That's the stuff that, that writers need to hear. Any others? Well, that's just what came to mind. That's just what came to mind. I think that's great because I only read about a thousand of those scripts that you just, that you just mentioned those kind of scenes. So thank you. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. People get tired. Um, and beat up. Um, okay. Also just a reminder to go to on the page.tv. Uh, let's see at the time that this podcast happens, the first draft class will already be happening, but we have a pitch and career class around the corner. It's February 12th. It will be co-taught with Lee Jessup. She'll be doing the career part of it. I'll be doing the pitch part of it. And then Jeff Portnoy, 
who is a manager, will be coming in and guest speaking. So you get three people for the price of one. Oh, my God. And it's uh, February 12th, all day long, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And uh, just go to onthepage.tv to sign up. Um, so everybody should go see Dr. Strange. Anything else that they should, should go see, Jim? No, I'm uh, looking for the next one. Okay, and then they'll all get to see your TV show when it's made. Okay, Thank we'll you. have you back for that one. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Kyle, uh, what you tweeting at these days? Uh, it's at Kyle Dotson Funny. Okay, at Kyle Dotson Funny. Yeah. Good. Any, anywhere else you want to point people, or it's all, all that's, there? That's all there. I okay. put everything important there. All right. I want to thanks. thank you so much. Poor Kyle. I asked, his, his uncle got sick, and I asked him to do this about two hours ago. So thanks, I man. really appreciate you coming by. Uh, thanks again to Jim Churchman. And thank you to all of you for listening. Have a good writing week. 